This morning we are beginning a new uh, volume, if you will, here at New Heights in the month of May and through the end of May, asking the question of how do we live for God? It might be a question that you've asked yourselves many times. It's like, it's great, I, I, I hear a lot of stuff and I read a lot of stuff in God's Word, but how do I put this all together so that I live faithfully for God in my life? And this morning... We're talking about a concept that uh, stretches the mind and the heart just a little bit. We're going to be talking about what it means to think eternally. And so often I believe, I know it's true of my life, we get so locked into schedules and things and stuff in this life and on this world, and we don't think very much about forever. That's eternity, forever. And I would think, and I believe that probably if we're going to be living in eternity one way or another, and I would hope for all of us that we would make a decision that we live eternally with Christ, that we would want to really, really prepare for that. Really, really know how to get all of our mind and emotions and our thinking and our focus in an eternal direction. And this morning I start with a story of two lives, two very different lives. If you were to turn off the bustling streets of Cairo, Egypt, and down a very nondescript alley to an overgrown graveyard for American missionaries, you would eventually come across a tombstone commemorating the life of William Borden. Now, you may not know that name and it may not ring a bell, but I bet you if you just say the last name enough, it will ring a bell. And I bet that many of you have consumed the beverage that made he and his family millionaires and probably in today's term, billionaires. I have a picture of Elsie the cow up here of the Borden family. That, that Borden family. William Borden was their son. Borden was a Yale graduate, and he was an heir to wealth beyond his imagination, a wealth beyond any of our imaginations. He rejected an easy life to bring the gospel to specifically Muslims, the Muslim population around Egypt. Borden refused to even buy a car for himself, and he gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. But tragically, after just four months of being on the mission field and being in ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died at the age of 25. And we look at that and we think, man, what, a, I mean, what could God have done with that life if he could have lived more years? 25 is so insanely young. A guy who had all of his thoughts and all of his focus on something eternal and his life was cut short. On Borden's tombstone, after lauding his love for God and his sacrifices for missions and especially for the Muslim population, there is an inscription on his tombstone, if you were to go there today, that says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. What he did, what he gave up so that he could make sure others had is almost unexplainable. I want you to think about that. I want you to contrast that with another prestigious and prominent individual from history. King Tutankhamun died at the age of 17. And he was buried with 
solid gold chariots and thousands of other golden artifacts. His gold coffin was buried in gold tombs within gold tombs within gold tombs. You get the picture and image, don't you? This was a lavish, lavish life that this guy lived. You see, ancient Egyptians believed in an afterlife, an eternity where you could take your earthly treasures with you why they always set them up in this way with all of these artifacts around them, guys. But for all of the opulence displayed in King Tut's burial tomb for more than 3,000 years, all the treasures intended for his eternal pleasure and enjoyment stayed right where they were put. Until Howard Carter found them in 1922, there is just one picture of this discovery that Howard Carter made, this great, magnificent discovery you guys, think of, the, think of the wide difference between these two burial plots, these two lives. One burial plot, very obscure, out of the way, would almost miss it if you weren't looking for it. Dusty, off the beaten path. The other, King Tut, glittering, glamorous, surrounded by unimaginable wealth. Yet, and this is the challenge of not only this morning, but for this whole next month and making us think, consider where each of these gentlemen find themselves today, assumedly. The child king, King Tut, in the misery and the torment of a Christless eternity. And the other who lived a very modest, quiet all too short life, who now enjoys the reward of being in his Lord's presence forever, for all of eternity. But really, there's a greater truth, especially in King Tut's life. It's an all too familiar truth that many learn way, 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 way too late in life, guys, and it's this. You cannot take your treasures with you. You cannot take your earthly treasures, everything that you so diligently and slavishly work for in this life to try to either make yourself look better or impress others or make your life easier on this spinning blue globe does nothing for the next life. Your earthly treasures, you cannot take them with you. I mean, you look at William Borden's life and you think to yourself, what an abject failure of a life. And to most people who would look at that, to most people in the world who would look at William Borden's life, they would like, are you crazy, son? Why would you give up everything for nothing? Oh, it seems that way that he gave it up for nothing. Actually, Borden's life was triumphant. Not a failure, it was triumphant because of the fact that instead of leaving treasure and losing it all, earthly treasure, here he was instead sending his treasure ahead for eternal purposes and kingdom use. Which this morning brings us directly to our text for this morning. And Jesus teaching on the power that our stuff and that our things can have over us and how that oftentimes hinders our eternal perspective. If you will, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. 
We'll spend time this morning in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll say it a few times throughout the sermon, we will in two weeks return to Matthew chapter 6 again because there is so much in this section. We are only going to read the first few verses of this section in this teaching on money and possessions and treasure. And Jesus starts in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and He says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, whatever it is that you adore and you give your life to, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and you will love the other, you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The word used in some translations there is the old word, mammon. That word actually came to be and meant some sort of an idol that we have in our lives. It is not always just moolah and money. It's whatever has our heart. Now this may come as a surprise to many people, but this section, these verses that I just read here in Matthew chapter 6 are really actually pretty typical of Jesus' overall teaching. And I know it's happening right now in some people's minds and in their bodies. They're squirming a little bit because they're like, oh my land, he just said the word money. Typical. In fact, every third message that Jesus preached and gave in his ministry was on, you guessed it, treasure, possession, and where our priorities lie in life. Guys, that's more than faith and prayer combined. Jesus wanted us to really have a good grasp on what really meant, means the most to us in life. And here's the deal. Make this very, very clear from the get-go. Jesus did not talk about treasure, and he did not talk about money, and he did not talk about possessions because he needs that from us. He talked about those things because he knew that what we do with our stuff and how we relate to our stuff is the best indicator of where our hearts are, where our priorities lie in life. I would say this way, guys, that Jesus doesn't want and doesn't need our stuff, but Jesus wants every bit of our hearts. Do, do you hear that? Like, I, I want to be clear about that. Whenever money comes up in the church, it's not because we're grabbing for it or because we say Jesus just wants, Jesus doesn't need your stuff. He wants you. He wants your heart. And oftentimes, guys, what so tragically happens in life too many times is that stuff stuffs out the priority of Jesus and God's kingdom in our life. And what Jesus says here in the first few verses of this 
section is essentially the heart always goes where the money and the treasure and the possessions flow. You want to know what really means the most to somebody? Just follow where their most precious possessions and what they are to them. That will tell you where their heart is. Our heart always follows. It always stays devoted to our most treasured things. Now, here's the deal. These things, money, treasures, possessions, whatever it is in your life that has you, are not necessarily bad things. They can be good things, but they're not good things if they become God things. The thing that we worship and we adore and we devote and we commit our lives to. I've got a question. It is somewhat a rhetorical question, but I want you to think about it the rest of the time I'm preaching this morning. I want you to think about it the rest of today. I want you to think about it into tomorrow and all the rest of the week and all of your life. What truly is your treasure in life? If you need some help conjuring up what that might be, think of it this way. If you knew that you could possibly lose everything in one moment, what is it in your life that you would have close to you? I mean, that thing, honestly, tangibly, that you might have like on your nightstand next to you. Like in the case of a fire, I can grab this quick and get out of here. This is really, really important to me. Whatever that is, guys, whatever those things are, no matter how silly or how serious those things might be to you, that is your treasure. That's what holds most importance to you in your life, has the most sway in your life, will influence and direct you in your life. To put it another way, the value that you place on something, or sometimes it's actually a someone, how great that treasure is to you is shown by what you will give up for it. Go to any length to make sure that you get it. Sacrifice everything to show that it is your greatest possession. Guys, where we store our treasure is inevitably where your heart and your time and your interests and your passion and your priority will be. I love the way that C.S. Lewis says it. Very simply, he always has a way of doing this. C.S. Lewis says, temporal earthly treasure has a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. Well, friends, we're not made for this world. We're only just world and the things of this world. What treasure are you right now as you're sitting here, as you walk out those doors? What treasure are you investing in in your life and where are you storing it up? And that will inevitably, as you identify that thing or those things, it will reveal three things about you. What you most love, what you most trust in, and what kingdom you're living for. Guys, our eternal thinking, our eternal mindset should absolutely reveal that we are living in a whole different kingdom. Again, not this world, a whole different kingdom, God's kingdom. Suppose that you are a person who likes to play the stock market. 
and you buy stock in the hottest tech company or the hottest multi-billion dollar company, what are you naturally going to do if, if you invest into a stock? What, what are you going to naturally do with where you have stored your treasure? You're, you're going to keep a watchful eye on that, aren't you? You're going to obsessively sometimes pour into that and think about that. You're going to do some serious time making sure your stock performs and that your treasure grows. Not to mention you're going to take a healthy interest in that product and its success. You want it to succeed. You want it to grow. You want it to do well. Guys, the same thing happens with those things that are eternal in our lives. What, what has you in life drives you in life. And what drives you in life determines your destiny for eternity. It's what Jesus says here towards the end of this section that we just read. In verse 24, He says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both of these things, God and money. He's talking here in this moment about something or someone that you depend on, something that you worship, something that you look to for things like happiness and security. What Jesus says here in verse 24, guys, you cannot practically do. You cannot be looking in two different directions at the same time. Your heart cannot be directed in two paths and hope you hope to get a very clear picture of what really needs to be pursued in life. Guys, in a, in a very real sense, treasure takes care of you, and so what you do with treasure is you obey what it demands. And because if you don't obey what your money or your treasure or your possessions want you to do, it will sour on you, and you'll be in a world of hurt. Guys, we see it every single day. Why do we imagine that people who have the most in this life sometimes are the most miserable people? in this world. Because it doesn't do anything for us if we're serving it. If we're beholden by it. If we're listening to its demands and its commands in our life. And further, if you'll notice in reading this, and I encourage you to read this and read this and read this more, Jesus doesn't simply indicate that where we store our treasures tips off where our hearts are. Are, he also says, and according to him, that it also tips off where our hearts will naturally go. Where they'll be led. It determines our default setting in life. Pastor and author Randy Alcorn says it this way, as surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will be tuned to your treasure. And so guys, if, if we want our hearts to go somewhere specific, and the whole point of what I'm talking about this morning is my hope is that specific place that your heart would go is into eternal things, you better be storing your treasure there. Not, not here, not on earth, but in eternity. Storing them up, sending them ahead. Guys, do you want more of a heart for eternal things? then what you need to do is you need to reallocate a healthy part of your treasure here on this earth, your time and your talent, and you need to sow it into things that have an eternal impact. Again, Randy Alcorn says, and I love the way that he says this, 
Guys, here's the deal. God is not looking for disinterested donors in life. He's looking for disciples that are so filled with a vision for eternity that they wouldn't dream of not investing their treasure where it will matter most. Eternally. Greatly. You you see what happens, right? As Jesus says here in Matthew 6, the person who lays up their treasure here on earth, do you know what that person does for their entire life on earth? They are constantly just backing away from their treasures, their possessions, their money, because it's not going with them. It never goes with us. And to that person who stores up their treasures just simply on earth, death to that person is absolute and utter despair and loss. But the person who lays up and sends on ahead their treasure in heaven looks forward into eternity, moving daily toward their treasure. Not away from it. Toward. To him and to that person, death is absolute gain. The person who spends their life moving away from their treasures has reason to despair, but the person who spends their life moving towards their heavenly treasure has reason to rejoice. That's why Paul would say in, first, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. Like if you've ever read that before, and you're like, this is really weird, Paul. What are you talking about? Paul has eternal thinking always in his mind. And what would happen, guys, if rather than dreading or resenting Jesus' teachings on treasure and money and possessions, again, there's some of you probably in your mind that were oh boy, here we go again. You welcomed them. Because, guys, what if you knew that Jesus was trying to free you from one of the worst masters on earth? And you have the focus of one of the greatest joys of life, eternity with Jesus forever. Guys, if you know eternity is coming, and can I just let you in on a little secret? It is. It's coming. And and I hate to be so bold and forward, but the eternity is coming for every single one of us in two forms. Either separation from God forever, in eternal despair and torment, or eternity with Jesus forever in worship and adoration and enjoyment and satisfaction in richness and if you know that eternity is coming and that compared to eternity this life is only boop, a blip a blink of an eye a mist a vapor then why in the world would we invest all of our resources, all of our time, and all of our energy, and all of our worry, and all of our anxiety here on this earth? Earthly things. Guys, you you came into this world with what? Nothing. You were naked. You were helpless. You didn't have a penny and a bank account anywhere. You know what you go out with in this world? Boop. The same thing. Nothing. But, while you can't take anything with you, you can send it on ahead and have it wait on you. Guys, what you invest in this life, your time and your energy, 
your resource and your talent and eternal purposes is stored up for you. It is banked for you in, in, in heaven for all of eternity. Not just for like one day and I'll get there and I get to enjoy it all and be done. No, for eternity it will go on and on and on. Guys, investing in earthly things and temporal things and things that are dissolving and fading away is like, it's, it's, it's like this. Imagine I said to you today, Dan Milborn, I am going to give you a five-minute shopping spree in the Apple store. Yeah, I know, like he's on. He's ready to go. He's like, where? Show me. I don't know what it is for you, all right? I set you up in like an electronics mecca. I set you up in a Walmart. Oh, or here we go. I set you up in a Costco. That's bulk value right there, folks. That's where I want my shopping spree. Where I don't just get one roll of toilet paper. I get like 48 rolls of toilet paper. I give you five minutes. Go hog wild. Grab whatever you want to. And you can store those things up for later, but what you do is you go by the aisle and you say, ooh, a back massager. Oh, I really do need one of those too. And instead of taking it and storing it for later, you take the back massager out and you're like, oh yeah. You're, like, you're sitting down Indian style in the middle of the store and you're like, yeah, it feels really good. Is that, is that wise to do that in the middle of a five-minute shopping spree? No! <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, it does. You don't know, buddy. No, it's not. You can have the back massager permanently. But that means foregoing some of the enjoyment of it temporarily while you're on that five-minute spree. Guys, that's pretty much what we do when we use our time and our energy and our resources and our treasures to maximize our enjoyment in life now. We are wasting for a few brief moments what could be, we could be enjoying and investing in eternally. Again, I bring us back to my friend Randy Alcorn, and this is my favorite quote that he has here. Guys, for us to accumulate vast earthly treasures in the face of inevitable future of eternity is equivalent to stockpiling monopoly money. And it's not just wrong, and he says it. It's right, folks. It's stupid. I would have used the word foolish. That would have been a softer way to say it, but he just wants to go right at it. You guys understand that, right? To do the things that most of us do in this life and to spend our time and our resources in the way that we spend them is like storing up and saving and hoarding and squirreling away monopoly money. It doesn't do a bit of good. It's foolish. And what I want to take some time to work through is to ask three questions that I believe are answered here in Matthew chapter 6 in these few verses that we read at the opening today. And the first question is this. How exactly does money, how exactly do possessions and treasure exercise power over us? Because we understand that they do, but how that tricky little thing like money do that to us? Jesus says in verses 22 and 23, I want to direct your attention there again. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think that you have is actually darkness, see guys, there are many people in this world. There might be people in here this morning or sitting and listening to this, and you're like, my, my life's great. I got a lot of light in my life. But you get to the end of your life and you found out that you've spent all of your time sowing into the wrong things, that's darkness. A deep, deep darkness. And he says here what? How deep that darkness is when you come to realize that. You know what Jesus is really talking about? And what Jesus really talked about so much in his ministry was 
greed and materialism. Greed and materialism are such plagues in our world today. Greed and materialism are the enemies, the utter arch enemies of long-range and eternal thinking. An inordinate desire or dependence on things and stuff to provide our happiness and our security. Oh, if I just had this. If I just had that back massager. Whoever was like, no, I want that thing. Whatever it is to you, that will make me so happy. It will give me such warm fuzzies and security. But what happens every single time, guys, that we get that thing that we want? We play with it for about five minutes and then we go, eh. Really? Greed and materialism and everything associated with us, guys, has the effect of, of binding us and blinding us and distorting the way that we see things. Seeing eternity. Guys, this is what gives earthly treasures power over us. Make them so stinking effective at getting our sight off of what we need to be looking at is that we become so absolutely dependent on them that we attach ourselves to them and they become intertwined with us and it throws our whole sense of focus and our whole sense of direction off. And you know the ironic thing is that materialism and greed has a way of masking itself and blinding you to its destructive presence in your life. That's what gives money and treasure and possessions power over every person is that greed, materialism, Treasure hunting hides itself. Like, certain sins, guys, right, are very obvious, and they're very easy to call out. Greed materialism is a tricky one. Because we never think that something has a hold over us. That treasure obsession syndrome, in its hiddenness, is what really causes it to have power. And what Jesus says here again in these two verses, 22 and 23, guys, is our perspective on eternity, on forever, is directly linked to a good eye. Can we recognize the goodness and the generosity of God, or do we have what he would call here a bad eye? You become the source of goodness in your life. The things in your life become the source of goodness. And the treasures become security for goodness. And we take on the thinking and the position of, I just need a little bit more. We become Scrooge McDuck. And we swim. I, I remember watching, what was that show when I was growing up? Uh, DuckTales, that's what it was. And the, like, the opening montage, Scrooge McDuck is in his, his money and he's like swimming in it. Guys, so many of us in this life, without even knowing it, that that's the saddest part of it, right? Is we're swimming in things. You realize every one of us sitting in this room today, I don't care if you think you are the poorest person in here, you are far richer than most people in this world. You are swimming in vast amounts of wealth and luxury and goodness and generosity of God. That's the how, but why does money, treasure, possessions exercise power over us? It's what Jesus says in verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Treasure and possessions and money so easily become our security blanket. It's what we wrap ourselves up in. 
for approval and for safety and for satisfaction and for our happiness and our significance. We use sometimes that for control. I'm superior, not just in wealth, but socially and tangibly. It gives us a feeling of status. Fitting in, I'm just like the Joneses. Guys, treasure exercises power because it can so easily, what Jesus says in verse 24, master us. It can so easily grab our heart and direct our heart in ways that it should not go. But it makes us feel so good. And it makes us feel so secure. And let me just say this here at this point. And Jesus, I think, says this in so many different ways and so many points in his ministry. Guys, money is a wonderful servant, but it is an absolutely terrible, terrible master. You do not want your stuff barking out orders at you. That is a very backwards way of living. One comedian says it this way, and I think many of us can probably relate with this. Money talks, but what it mostly says to me is, goodbye. Is that how it feels most often in life? What Jesus is ultimately saying here, guys, and what we'll talk more about throughout this month is that money gives us orders. It bosses you around. You end up serving the master of money. But what if we have our priorities right, guys? There is only one boss. There is only one authority. There is only one who is truly in control, God himself. You guys know, there are so many people and even Christians who dread the thought of leaving this world. Why? Because so many people have stored up their treasures on earth, not in heaven. And if that's the case, guys, every day lived brings you closer to losing the treasures that you have so carefully worked to store away on this temporary, fleeting earth. John Wesley, a story is told about him, that he went to the owner of a large estate, and the owner of the estate was so proud of himself, and he was just taking Mr. Wesley around and saying, look at all the stuff, aren't you like really impressed? And he finally asked him very boldly and very pointedly, Mr. Wesley, what do you think of all of this? And you know what John Wesley said? I think you're going to have a real hard time leaving all this. That's what I think. I think that's what God thinks about us a lot of times as he looks at my life, looks at all of our lives, and he says, you have a really hard time detaching yourself from this, aren't you? A man by the name of Addison Leach says it this way, and I think this is a great way to see it, is that we are on this ball of rock we call earth, moving through space and time, and who knows if we'll run into something, something will run into us, but even if we don't, there is what he describes a trap door at the end of our existences. We will leave this earth seemingly through a trap door. And when we do fall through that trap door, we will either be caught by the ever, everlasting arms of the Father or we will be not be caught at all. Nothingness. And what he says off of that is when we face that, do we think that wealth and status and security that we've sought and we've strived for, we've served in this life is going to do us one bit of good when we come to the end. 
Absolutely not. We think treasures can give us significance and, and safety, but in the end, guys, it just traps us. It enslaves us. And so the most important question that we have to ask this morning, the most important question any person can ask is this. How can I break the power and influence of treasures in my life? We'll deal with this more in depth in two weeks when we continue on in Matthew chapter 6, but I want to again come back to some verses that we've read and some that we haven't even treated yet in what Jesus says. Verses 19 and 20. Don't store up treasures on earth. Moths are going to eat them. Rust is going to destroy it. Thieves are going to break in and steal it. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then Jesus begins saying in verse 25, and this is where we'll go in a couple weeks, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. And then he comes to the end of this section and he says this, all of these things, all of this stuff dominates the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father, listen to this, already knows all of your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything that you need. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Don't treasure earthly treasures but heavenly treasure and word guys keep an eternal perspective in all things what does it mean to treasure something to treasure something is to say that if i have this it is all worth it i'll go to any length i'll pay any price i'll i'll give any sacrifice it will pale into comparison into getting what this is. If I had this, everything in life would change. Guys, I want to be very honest with you. We all have a this on earth. But the switch flips in a very massive way when we start thinking kingdom thoughts about eternity and about what life with God will be like. That will be and needs to be our this. I think of it this way. Many of you have probably seen the Lord of the Rings movies, and if you haven't, you think the rest of us are just really, really goofy. Like, what are you watching this movie for? You remember this character in Lord of the Rings, don't you? Smeagol, his name's Gollum. And he has this silly little ring that he carries around all the time, and what does he say? My precious. what he says over and over again in that movie that's that's his this guys every one of us have a this it may not be a ring but it's something that we do oh don't touch that we, we hiss at people when they try to take it away from us it's a thing that makes you say i have it and so life is worth it but guys, do you know what eternal thinking does? Switch, I mean, flipping that switch, it has us singing a very, very different song in life, doesn't it? That life is worth the living just because He lives. If I have Jesus, that's enough. That's all I need in life. Give me that, and I don't need anything else. And as we transition into a time of observing the Lord's Supper, I want to 
have you think in terms of what we've been talking about and how it connects to communion. You see what happens, guys, in life is that we become so enslaved and controlled by that which is near and dear to our hearts. It's precious to us, both for the good and for the bad. That we'll pay any price, we'll go to any length to make that ours. The Bible clearly says, guys, that any treasure but the most precious treasure of Jesus in the gospel is a counterfeit. It's a fraud. And here's what happens in life, whether you realize this or not. And once you come to realize this, it changes everything. Every other false treasure in this life will insist that you die a thousand tiny deaths in service of it. But what does Jesus do? Wholly unique what Jesus does. Jesus is the one and only treasure that will say, not you die for me, but guess what? I'll die for you. I did die for you. I died for you to become your greatest treasure, to show you the lengths to which I would go, but also to make you my treasure, to become a child of God. Guys, his life, Jesus' life, and particularly his death, is the greatest application of the verses that we have just read here in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus had the ultimate treasure. He had Godness. But he chose not to store it up in earthly position or earthly security, but in heavenly storehouses. He didn't cling to that, Philippians 2.6 would say. Hebrews 12.2 would say that for the cross that was set before him and the joy and the pleasure of, of what was set before him, he went to the cross for us and died on that cross to become our greatest treasure. You see it, don't you guys? Jesus lost the ultimate treasure and you only give up everything when you find that which is most worthwhile and valuable to you. Jesus' death and resurrection say exactly that to, to you and to you and to you and to me. Jesus says it over and over again. He wants us to hear it in our lives. You are worth it. Jesus says, I will go, I went to every possible length that I could to show you that you are treasure to me. Jesus says, I gave up everything to gain you because you are precious. And because of that, guys, he has made us children of the King. And guys, that is something. That is the only thing that's worth treasuring. So the question, I think, guys, at the end of all of this, this is where we started. What are your priorities in life? What are you really going to live for in life? And I, we're not going to go out of here today and just like we've conquered the world, we've conquered our problem with treasure hunting and treasure seeking. But my prayer is that a little more every single day you would just step away from that stuff and you would start to focus on what really matters in life. You know, in life, many people, and I'm kind of one of these people sometimes, I can manage to juggle dozens of different commitments, and I can still end up doing enough to get by. People who can do enough to earn a degree or enough to make a good living. But most of the time in life, we all have very difficult choices to make. We face those choices, this or that. You can't have them both. 
Because there are so, only so many hours in a day, there are only so many years in your life. You can't possibly do everything, and so you're forced to ask an all-important eternal question. What is really important, of utmost importance, guys, in five years, in 10 years, in 25 years, in 35 years, what will you want to say about and in your life? Boy, you know what? I really wish I would have given it my best shot. I really would have given it all. Or do you want to say, I'm really glad that I decided to put all of my effort into eternal things? My friends, it all comes down to priorities. First things first. And even as Christians, we who have chosen Jesus as our first love, there are many different things that we can do or there are many different things that we can go after in life. And often these different things, all they may be sometimes good, they start to take over. So how do we choose the best thing, guys? We choose the best thing by learning to live rightly for God and to do everything for Him and for Him alone. It's all about getting your priorities right. It's all about eternal thinking. And so as Jesus says here, especially in verses 22 and 23, about light and about darkness. Here's, here's just really quick three things here at the end. How do we get our priorities right and keep our spiritual sight in check? One, we do that first and foremost by keeping our focus on God and eternal things. Number two, we take care of what gets our attention, what catches our eye. What are you naturally drawn to in life? Are you in control of your urges and your compulsions materially, or do they take control of you and they lead your mind and your heart wherever they want to go? And the third thing I would say to this is that we need to constantly be checking the brightness of our lights. You're going down a dark road. It's just, like, it's just like going down a dark road without the headlights on. That is a special kind of darkness. I never remember years ago, I took a trip out west and I was like in Utah area and we pulled off at a rest stop and we were pulling back on and I was a dummy and didn't turn my lights on. I was like, something feels very, very wrong here. It was very, very wrong. I had no lights. And that is a very, very different kind of darkness in the wee hours of the morning or the late hours of the night in, about, in Utah. You ever been there? That's dark. Guys, are your eyes and is your heart leading you in the right direction and showing you what's coming down the road? Or are your attentions and your affections caught up in something else that's preventing you from doing basic maintenance in life? End where we began this morning, back to William Borden. Again, Borden had graduated from Yale in 1909. He later on went on to the prestigious Princeton Theological Seminary. And after he had graduated, the full reins of power of the Borden Empire and all that wealth were offered to him. But while he was in college, he had become a Christian. He had become so overwhelmed by the gospel that supposedly he had written on the inside of his Bible, no reserves. I'm not going to have any reserves in life. I'm not going to have any reservations in life. His parents thought that he was absolutely insane, tossing away the family fortune. Not just his, his family. When, when he went on a mission field, it became front-page news that people were like, why is this guy, a millionaire, throwing all of this away, along with all of the power and prestige? And so again, he opened his Bible, and he wrote, under no reserves, he wrote the words, no retreats. 
And finally, after his tragic and all-too-soon death, after only four months in the mission field, many asked him, William, do you have second thoughts about such a foolish, short-sighted decision? One of the last things that he wrote on the inside of his Bible, and again, this shows up on his tombstone in Cairo, Egypt. He said it out loud, and then he wrote it in his Bible. I have no regrets. Guys, what if we lived, what if all of us lived our lives in that way, with that kind of long-range eternal thinking? No reserves, no rivals for our affection, no retreats, no refusals, and no regrets. Guys, this is what happens when you know the all-surpassing joy of living for eternity and living in the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. When you understand the value of that, you are more than willing to leave it all behind, to give it all up, to lose everything, to gain something of even greater importance, eternity. Sort your priorities out. And when you look back on your life in 5, 10, 20, 40 years, will you be glad and will you be able to say that you put first things first? Would you pray with me as the worship team comes up here? Lord, that is a prayer this morning. That is not just a prayer this morning. That is a prayer for all of our lives and every moment of our lives. We just really, really need to understand. And would you help us to understand? Would you give us the grace to understand and see what has our hearts? And if it's not you, that we would change that in an instant. And maybe some of us here this morning that you do not have our hearts at all, that you would slowly but surely start to grab a hold of our hearts. You would start to detach us from the things of this world and that you would have our eyes focused on eternity, Lord. Only through your grace and mercy can you help us to see that and experience that. May that be true in our lives this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.